1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money.
2: We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified
1: financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
1: We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m.
2: You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us. Uh, Hopefully uh, everyone has power on. By yeah, now, everybody right? ought to be recovered by now, I think right?
1: So. Now we're into the picking up the limbs and, yeah. you know, repairing damage and stuff.
2: This 80 degree weather was kind of nice this last week. I'm telling you. Yeah. Spring I'm, I'm fever. longing for a lot more of that. Yeah. I hope that comes right back. I agree. Amen to that.
1: Yeah. You can also download the TuneIn Radio app. You know, that's my favorite way of listening. You can uh, be working out in the yard, still up cleaning sticks. up from the storms and, uh, you know, Listen to us there on your smartphone um, while you're working around the yard or jogging or whatever you want to do um, so you can carry us with you. That's uh, that's my favorite way. You can also record the show on the TuneIn Radio app mm-hmm. if you get the pro version, the upgrade version of that. And that's a great way because you can just schedule it, and then you can download the shows, and then you can listen to them. In the middle you know, of the week or – Wherever whenever. you're at, whenever it's convenient. Exactly. Also, check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there and send us your emails. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day. Some really exciting topics. Um, You know, starting off with some pretty bullish talk about the markets.
2: Yeah, there's a, a company out there called Charles Schwab. Most people have heard of that institution. Their chief... Um, Uh, investment officer came out and spoke at a conference recently and Basically, came out and said these are the best markets that we'll ever see. It's a pretty bold that's statement. Pretty bold statement. I don't. I don't. Um, I can't say I agree with that. I think there's some some positive things that she's talking about, and, and we are both optimistic. She must certainly have forgot-
1: long term. She must have forgotten about the nineties. Yeah,
2: well, that's right. But- that was pretty good times, and she she probably knows history pretty well. I mean, there are I'm sure. times that, that that markets don't do well, but we're going to dive into that a little bit. Kind of give give you our perspective a little bit as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's a great article. And then we're gonna also talk about the uh what, the seven frugal habits um yeah. everyone should develop. Yeah, this I is, love this article.
2: Yeah, it's really good. It's 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 kinda of lengthy. We're gonna to try to boil it down, but um you know, some of it is um psychological. The way you think about things, the way you act, um and it's so important in in not only um life but also in your finances, we're gonna kinda of give you some good tips to focus on. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. And then we have um the golden ticket trap. It's an article out of DFA, uh, Dimensional Fund Advisors. You know, I love this because it refers to a children's story, and, and I love children's stories. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I never read them as a kid, and when I started reading them to my kids whenever they yeah. were small, I just fell in love with children's books. You know, they always have a great message, you know, and they just do it in a creative way. And this is another one, and, uh, you know, it's talking about the, the searching for the golden tickets here. Mm-hmm. Um is that what you're doing with your investments? Is that yeah. the way you
2: should be investing? We see a lot of people doing that.
1: We certainly do. So we're going to tell you what that means here in a minute. That's a, that's a great article. You'll you'll need to stick around for that. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week.
2: Yeah, the source of this is um, Realty Track, and it's about repossessed homes. And, Stephen, I looked at this number, it's, it's just staggering. It just kind of really caught me off guard. And, and the stat is uh, as U.S. banks repossessed over 460,000 homes. In two thousand and thirteen that 's an average of almost thirteen homes per day wow I and mean, that is a, that's just that 's just amazing to me and, but you know what the interesting thing or the other interesting thing is the lowest that 's the lowest annual rate um, in the u s since two thousand and seven so you know we've talked about on the show before that housing wow. has recovered um somewhat uh, still some some room to go on that but uh, the the repossessions have decreased significantly, but that's still a lot of homes
1: that sounds like a lot you know but two thousand and seven that wasn't even really in the midst of the crisis. that was kind of the peak mm-hmm. of the housing mm-hmm. boom, and probably people were a lot a overexten- lot of overextended people sure. back then right but it wasn't, you know, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, when when everything hit the skids.
2: So I, I'm sure there's a normal level of repossessions even during good times. But you right. just think about the number of families that are impacted by that. I mean, that's so uh, you know, that, it's getting a house repossessed is a uh, is a big deal. It's, I mean,
1: it's very, be stressful. very traumatic, for, exactly. So uh, yeah, that's a that's a staggering statistic, and uh, you know, it just shows. I mean, people need to get good counseling mm-hmm. and need to be, you know, at the right level of debt whenever they go into. To uh, buying a home, and, and they need to know what that means, right? They need to buy the right right level of home, right level of debt for yes. their
2: situation. Emergency funds, things so like that. So,
1: good uh, financial fact. All right, and that leads us up here to our first story about the um, uh, market. Market mm. today's yeah. market is the best we'll ever see. Really, mm. I don't know. Good, good question.
2: It is a good question. And Actually, um, uh, the uh, Charles Schwab's chief investment strategist. Her name is Liz Ann Saunders. Um she spoke recently at a at a conference, Steve, and um she's saying that the renaissance in manufacturing and energy are some of the factors that uh is uh st- you know giving her the bullish stance. And
1: we, we do have some very positive things in the economy that are that are helping to, to spur growth. Um
2: of course we have some drags too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So she spoke at a conference, a financial advisor uh, conference uh recently and she basically said I personally think the bull market we're in now will be the best we see in our lifetimes. And, wow, that's a bold statement. Um, it really is. scares me a little bit. I don't think I'd have enough confidence to say that. We think it's going to... You know, we're optimistic. Obviously, no one can predict the future, but um, she yeah. has some interesting uh, interesting stance here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had one thirty percent year. Let's don't let's get carried away here. <laughs> yeah, but um, nonetheless, I do think we're in a good market, and I think it'll last a while. Yeah, I mean, her optimistic stance is not new for, for her, you know, for the Schwab economist. Um, she's been consistently bullish in her frequent appearances, you know, coming off of a few days of, of rough markets, though, last month, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some this month, um, but you know, particularly uh, in emerging markets, you know, her superlative word is best underscores her high degree of confidence. And you know, I I might agree. Emerging markets really have it's time for them to to yeah. kind of shine. They've I taken mean, a beating. <laughs> they have taken a beating. Everybody's like everybody's like wanting to run from emerging markets. Mm-hmm. I have some clients that are questioning whether we should even be in emerging markets. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good buying signal. Yeah, quite that it frankly. is, typically. Historically,
2: <laughs> it is. You know, Saunders was was careful to note that, that uh, what economists term as a secular bull market does not exclude the possibility of market corrections. In fact, she noted that, you know, the stock market crash of 1987, which is it was down like 25 percent in one day, um, came within the greatest bull market in history. So I think she recognizes hey, we're in a good good period um, from her perspective, and there certainly can be corrections in, in, uh, in, a, in a dispersed in there. And what's more, Saunders said a strong stock market uh, years like 2013 tend to be followed by subsequent strong years, and the fact that we've had five consecutive years with positive market returns did not dampen her outlook for 2014.
1: Yeah, and she says that's because of both positive macroeconomic and microeconomic trends. Um, You know, foremost among the former has been the long developing but far from played out renaissance in U.S. manufacturing Mm. energy production. Yeah, that's interesting. She points out, yeah, I mean, and we've talked about that some. I mean, two months ago, the U.S. actually produced more oil than it imported. And that's quite a milestone, as we've, you know, we can remember six, seven years ago when everybody was talking about peak oil production and how, you know, it was, we got to get out of oil. We got to transition from oil. Well, you know, I mean, things have turned around pretty quick here Mm -hmm. with With oil production. But, you know, she's been following the trend since her first visit to mainland China in 2007 when uh, two U.S. CEOs advised her to pay attention to what they foresaw as a reshoring trend within the decade. And we are seeing some of that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal. Opportunity for the U.S. I mean, it it's is. interesting that some of those CEOs, they, they foresaw um, that it would become econo- uneconomical to remain in China and some of the er- other emerging markets uh, for a variety of reasons. The U.S. labor costs have been restrained. Um, the rising emerging market labor cost is a factor. And then the abundant energy and, and low natural gas prices in the U.S. make the U.S. more attractive than it has been in a very, very long time. And, you know, in addition to the narrowing of the cost gap, the advantages that the U.S. Uh, has always had, such as, you know, a strong rule of law, superior infrastructure, uh, stability in the labor markets, technology's always been up there, those are further draws for manufacturers manufacturers restoring operations back to the U.S. I mean, that's a very positive, bullish you know, That's right. Tread.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting. She cites a key measure here called the land cost gap. She cited uh, studies in in Boston con- from the Boston Consulting Group showing that once that measure reaches around fifteen to seventeen percent, the economics of reshoring, in other words, bringing your manufacturing back to the U.S., mm-hmm. become very positive. And the U.S. is now at sixteen percent. Um, Consecutively, she – and so she's very optimistic about the resurgence of U.S. industrial activity as a result of that. And since the U.S. manufacturing plants are out of date and badly in need of upgrading, she foresees a a burst of private spending that will further contribute to an expansion of U.S. GDP in the years ahead. So – Pretty positive thing.
2: Yeah. Now there's some obviously some headwinds. We've seen some some decreases in government spending to the, due to the sequester. We'll cover that when we come back from the break. But overall, um, you know, I, I agree with her her thoughts um, about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. Energy. Advantages uh, Labor uh, is not as much of a um, you know a difference as it used to be between the U.S. And, and emerging markets. So interesting. Yeah,
1: it really is. So that's a great positive for us. All right. Well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break um, about uh, an article out of uh, ThinkAdvisor and uh, quotes a, a Schwab uh, analyst here saying, today's markets may be the best we've ever Will ever see ever yeah ever that's, that's ever a, in our lifetime. Yeah, that's a pretty bold statement. That's a Pretty bold statement. Yeah, but this this is from. She makes some good points.
2: Yeah, she does. It's Lizanne Saunders, uh, chief uh, investment strategist for Charles Schwab. So um, she obviously has her pulse um, on the markets. Um, she certainly recognizes that uh, markets have corrections and and that's part of it. But um, she has some pretty good points about you know U.S. bringing manufacturing back uh, to the to the U.S. from yeah, that's a China. Great.
1: It's a great trend, and, you know, I think that will continue because of energy, right? Yeah, Energy has gotten just cheaper here than it is in most places. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of companies rely on energy in a big way.
2: That's right. And, and she goes on to say, you know, with the exception of federal spending, the key components of GDP growth have really been positive in the government spending drag, which is a consequence of the budget sequester. Will probably slow down um, by mid-year and become neutral, is what her her forecast is. And another macroeconomic positive um, that Swab the Swab economist feels um, has not uh, received due attention is a continuing shrinking of the deficits down to 3.3 percent of GDP and possibly in the high two percent range. And that's really due to a couple of reasons. She's she's points out here because of um, the key uh, contributing sides of the equation, which is government spending which uh, has been reduced as a result of this sequester, and that continues to shrink while the economic expansion is actually adding revenues. And obviously they changed the taxes as well, so, you know, that's that's yeah, helping no, that, that to reduce was, the deficit.
1: That was a big part of it. Now, what hasn't been factored in, I think, is the cost of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. You know, those costs really haven't even hit yet, and the, uh, you know, CBO is projecting that deficits are going to go back up. Mm-hmm. And so I think she misses the boat there a little bit. I think deficits are not going to continue to come down. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. So very good.
2: And on the the microeconomic side, um, corporate earnings have been pretty good. Yeah, corporate
1: earnings have been been very good. Um, Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, she's been very upbeat about corporate earnings. I mean, she's been saying that uh, U.S. companies are – uh, past their even though you know people have been saying that they're past yeah, their some peak, of the bears they're past their peak profit margins um, by saying that markets can and do you know ri- she's pointing out that markets can and do rise a year or two past that peak mm-hmm. therefore she's thinking that you know we have a couple more years here of good markets um, before we see maybe a correction uh, a significant correction or a pullback. In the market. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's an interesting perspective. I mean, she thinks we have a ways to go.
2: Yeah, and, you know, other conditions she sees as fueling the market's rise is a level of sentiment she uh, regards as. It's still lukewarm um, with stocks as a percentage of household financial assets at uh, an average level um, over the past 60-plus years. And, you know, at the institutional level, uh, there's additional room for stock buying since pension funds now have more fixed income than than equity exposure, while endowment uh, equity level is just 31%, and that's down from 50% a decade ago. So what she's saying is... A lot of institutions have um, taken a more conservative approach. They've t- they've come out of the stock market, and she thinks that they're going to go back into the stock market. Which more buyers means the market typically goes up.
1: Yeah, now I agree with that in a big way because you know if you look at the trends of equ- of cash flows into equities, last year was the first year we've actually had net new money into equities. Mm-hmm. You know since the downturn in two thousand and eight. Um. So, I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, normally that goes on for quite a while, and until you have several years of, of positive, good positive cash flow in equities, you don't get the kind of downturn or, or bear market, you know, that a lot of people are talking about. And she's saying, you know, these low level of equity participation um or an, a legacy of the flight to safety after last the last crash, and the resurgence of interest in stocks remains in its infancy And I think I agree with that I mean stock market bears often cite elevated valuation levels as reasons for the fear um but they're there too I mean Saunders was unconcerned, calling valuations neutral by and large, and saying that the bulls and the bears alike can tell any story based on, you know, many ways there are the slice and dice the valuations. But in general, I think there's a lot of room for money to flow back into equities. And boy, I mean, the stars have never been aligned much better than they are today for that to happen because interest rates are headed up and bonds are just getting killed Mm -hmm. and bonds are going to are going to probably stink for a while, you yeah, know? I yeah. mean, if you really look at the trend of, of markets going up and, you know, being at these very low interest rate levels for bonds.
2: Yeah, the the role of bonds in the portfolio is more for stability at this point. But, um, you know, and kind of summarizing this article, Steve, you know, she's that's a pretty bold prediction, the best markets ever. I mean, no one knows. We don't try to predict that. What we recommend and what we see historically that has, has worked well is have diversification diversification doesn't prevent losses, but there's a lot of different things going on in the portfolio. You can do some rebalancing. Uh, obviously, past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but there are some positive things that we see going forward. Um, manufacturing technology, you know, six billion people outside the United States. I mean, it's good stuff.
1: That's right. And I and I agree with the overall premise of what she's saying. and And that to me would be that it's not a great time to be overly conservative in your portfolio you know if you can stand to take more risk if you're comfortable with that do it in a diversified way but yet i mean equities are, are it could be a very good place to be here for the next you know several years mm-hmm. um so you know it's not a good time to shy away from equities and to go overly conservative in the bonds which are in a very particular uh yeah precarious place they're sure. a challenging position they really are so,
2: all right, good topic. That leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, I think you had this question, uh, talking about simple IRAs, yep. um, <clears throat> some details about them. Are they better than SEP accounts? I'll let you.
1: Yeah, uh, that's right. I mean, you know, for a small business, I mean, those are the two most popular choices, either a SEP IRA or a simple IRA account for mm-hmm. a retirement plan, um, because the administration costs are, are, are basically zero mm-hmm. for those, right? I mean, you don't have to have a third-party administrator or any kind of, Complicated fifty five hundred filing or anything. So if you have a small business, you're probably looking at one of those two: either simple IRA or SEP IRA. And you know, one's not necessarily better than the other; they're just different. It depends on your situation. Um, So you know, it really depends. I mean, if you're if you have a high salary, um, you know, and you're the only there's only one employee then a SEP IRA makes a lot of sense because you can put up the 53000 a year in a SEP IRA mm-hmm. limited by 25% of your salary. Mm-hmm. So you can get a lot of money in a retirement plan with no administration cost in a SEP IRA. Um, so that's a great way to go. However, if you have more employees or your salary is really low, then you can probably do better in a simple IRA. Because in a simple IRA, you can put up to uh, 13500 I believe. Mm-hmm. Is the limit for somebody under 50 years of age um and there's it doesn't matter what your salary is that's a deferral from your salary um you know as long as you have a salary at least that high and then you can also do a three percent match from the company so it just kind of depends on your situation um what your company's like um they're both great types of accounts Mm -hmm. because they have no administration costs you can invest any way you want to inside of them so, yeah, I mean, we can help you figure that out. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a know, great
2: question. We get it frequently from businesses.
1: We do. we do. I mean, small business, a lot of people have a little, you know, business they're running out of their home. I mean, maybe they're doing accounting for somebody or maybe they're doing, you know, a bookkeeping or, or whatever they do, you know, mm-hmm. from their home. And there's just a lot of small business, real small businesses out there. And that's a great option is to look at one of those, two. Yeah. Um, and you know they're both great, great plans. Just depends on your situation. Sure, we can we, help you
2: evaluate we, it. Yeah,
1: I mean, give us a call if you want. I mean, you may be better off just doing a, a plain IRA and not doing any plan. Mm-hmm. You know, you can contribute what six thousand a year, mm-hmm. uh, sixty five hundred actually if yeah, you're over 50, fifty, right? Um, into a regular IRA or a Roth IRA. But you can do one of these plans, and you can do a Roth on the side. So, you know, you want to take advantage of all the benefits you can get, right? Um, when it comes to taxes.
2: And uh retirement plan really is the, the best way yeah, to, you're, to do that. You're shielding taxes today. Now, you're going to have to pay it in the future, but, um, you know, Still. it's it's a good way to, to shelter. It's better to do that than nothing, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> $53,000 a yeah. year you can defer into a retirement plan if it's structured properly. That's a lot of income to to take off the table and take off of your your 1040 mm-hmm. form. Right, comes right off the first page of your 1040, lowers your income. That's a big deduction.
2: Yeah, and if you're eligible for a Roth account, and it, there's different income levels associated with that, that's another great place to save because you're giving up the tax break today, but you're not going to pay any taxes on it in the future. So I love a Roth. Yeah, if you can if you can Roths be in, great. if you
1: can get into a Roth. Um, I think the adjusted gross income level for Roth for a couple is one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year where mm-hmm. it starts to phase out right So if you make under that for your adjusted gross income um, you know you got to take advantage of that i don 't think that 's going to be around forever yeah, I think at some point they're going to close that. I really do i mean that's that's a beautiful benefit and i 'm even going to refer to that in my uh you know you mm-hmm. fully fund that for thirty five years i 'll tell you what it looks like in, <laughs> in my segment here coming up in just a minute. But that leads us up here to a break, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at seven oh six seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and GNM News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are going to start off our second segment here um, with a new topic, and it's the seven frugal habits everyone should develop. You know, I love these because, I mean, there are just so many ways to to, to, to kind of position your lifestyle mm-hmm. so that you're saving money, you know, and so that you're, you're doing things naturally without even thinking about it that are going to help you to accomplish your long term financial goals
2: yeah this is from a website it's it's moneying dot com m o n e y i n g dot com and you know my son has a um a little placard up in his room and it says attitude is so important so, make sure you choose a good one
1: <laughs> I like it I like it that's a
2: great it, that's a great word it really is and 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 one of the most direct ways to change your life is to change your attitude about things and you know no one is responsible for what happens to you but you um, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances with medical and so forth um, but you know you got you got to choose your attitude and, and 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 figure out how you're going to react to things in life and you know if you're tired of living paycheck to paycheck or, or having your phone. Cut off or, or not being able to take um, you know trips or whatever, then uh, here's seven habits to take control of your money um, and live a happier life. And um, you know there's a lot to be said about not having stress about your finances. So we're going to dive right into this because there's a lot of them here. Habit number one is just be proactive. Um, the first habit is to develop, uh, is to take responsibility. Um, you know if you fail, you have no one to blame but yourself. Um, regardless of how you are raised or, or how you are treated at school, you can choose your behavior now. And um, this is, you know, in stark contrast to um, a, a reactive person. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, reactive, you're always taking things and you're, you're kind of feeling um, like you didn't have a choice in the matter. And sometimes you don't. I mean, there are some circumstances that you don't, but, you know, you can't blame the weather for bad moods unless it, you have ice with no well, power.
1: Yeah, I had a pretty bad mood last week. I don't know.
2: I was blaming the weather hard, John. I, I did as I read this, and it was talking about if the weather is good, then you're in a good mood. Weather is bad, then you're blaming your weather. And it was interesting because you know about the fourth day, man. I was getting a little sick and tired of. Um, being sick and tired, you know,
1: I was too, you know, and the tree fell through my workshop, you know, that, yeah. that, that put me in a bad mood. I have to admit, yeah. I have to admit, so you,
2: <laughs> so you got to be proactive with this, right?
1: But you know, you can't control the stimulus, right? The things that come into your life, um, very well, but what you can control is your response. So I could have responded probably differently than I did whenever in the, the tree hit my workshop, you know, but I mean, one of the most important choices you make in your response, is your words the language you use is an effective indication of how you see yourself. So if you use proactive language like "I can," "I will," um, you're starting with a more positive attitude than someone who uses language like "I can't," or "I have to," mm-hmm. or "If only." Yeah. You know, so if I'd have said "I can" and "I will" fix that, you know, next week when it clears up and it's not going to be a problem, that would probably help my attitude. But yeah. Yeah, I didn't start with that, I yeah. have to
2: admit. I, it, it's, and so here, here's some uh, ways that you can be proactive for effective um, frugality. Take the first step. You've got to make a commitment. Um, a budget is, is a great way to do that. So look at budgeting. Tell people. If you're hanging out with friends and family that are, that are trying to live um, something other than a frugal lifestyle, you've got to talk to them about what your goals and dreams are. And number 3 here is is listen. Um, you know, you've got to listen to yourself the reasons why you're breaking some of those commitments and you know, this can stop you from making purchases that purchases that impede your goal of effective uh, frugality. So number 1 here is be proactive. Number 2 here is I like this one. You know, begin with the end in mind. Think about what your goal is. Exactly. Visualize. It. That's right. Those people who are effective in achieving their goals, they they've they've had a vision. Um big basketball fan uh, NBA uh, particularly in the finals and I remember back in the 90s Michael Jordan would talk about he got into a zone and that's where he could see the ball going through the rim and he would make 6 7 shots from the three point line so you've got a vision a little bit of what yeah. you're what you're you know striving for
1: Yeah of course I like to use the golf analogy John and it's exactly <laughs> Tiger the same Woods or? Well you know I mean just like when you're putting yeah. you have to visualize what the line's going to be and that ball dropping in the cup you know or you have no chance of making that putt and uh you know it's the same thing. I mean if you don't visualize what you want then you're at the risk of other people and external circumstances influencing your life because you're not influencing it yourself. So instead begin every day and every task with a clear vision of what you want to to do and go and to how you're going to get there um make that vision a reality with your proactive skills from you know the first
2: habit yeah so here's uh how to visualize effective frugality first of all you've got to def- define your goal you've got to write it down make it measurable and the second thing is decide how you're going to get there you know and again we'll draw upon the the budget but um, dave ramsey has a great saying that um, financial success is 20 percent knowledge and 80 percent behavior so if your behaviors, if you're spending $10 on junk food every day, you're probably going to have a harder time reaching your goal. So you've got to control that, that behavior piece of it. So visualize what you're, what you're, what you want to go. Start with the end in mind. Number three here is put first things first. Knowing why you're doing something is an incredible motivator. Um, you know, a lot of times when we sit down with people to do retirement planning, we fast forward 20 years or 10 years and say, all right, this is your situation based on what you're doing today. So you've got to think about the future and why you're doing it associated with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, for many people, you know, another aspect of that is it's very hard to say no. But that's exactly a skill you have to learn to be able to keep your goals as your first priority. You know, we're constantly told that we can have it all. In reality, though, I mean, having it all is about prioritizing what's most important to you to have and then focusing on that. It's kind of like dieting for me, John. I mean, if you're not able to say no to some things, you will never, ever achieve your goals diet-wise, right? Yeah. I mean, because you you got you to be able to say no because you're presented with so many opportunities to eat fattening food. And it's the same thing with spending. I mean, you have to be able to say no to some things, and you have to be able to say yes to your
2: priorities. Yeah, and I think the way you do that, Steve, is is you recognize the effects of your finances. Unfortunately... Um, finances are the leading cause of divorce, and, and it's very stressful. So you, one of the reasons why you do finances and you're being frugal is so you can have a, a less stress in your life. I mean, there's enough, enough things out there that cause stress and also just say no. I mean, it's easy to spend more than your your budgeted amount, but as you said when that sweet roll came across this last week, oh, I didn't say no. I to got that. a half of a half, which would be equivalent of a fourth. That's pretty good, so John. I didn't do a whole, mm. I didn't do a half.
1: I have to admit I did the whole thing. I did go running the next day though.
2: Did you? Good for you. Good <laughs> for you. So, the number 4 here on the list is is think win-win. And and most of us are taught to to base our self-worth on comparisons to others and competition against our uh, our peers. We think we can only succeed if someone else has failed, but you know that's not true. I think if you um, if you, if you look and say that everybody can can get a piece of the pie, it's more of a positive attitude associated with it.
1: Yeah, um, you know, thinking in a win win mindset allows you to see mutual benefits from all of your interactions. So you know, by doing this, you'll see that the pie tastes even better. know, when it's shared. So if you can approach conflicts and problems with a win win attitude, you'll be able to express your ideas and your feelings with with courage while still maintaining consideration for the feelings and ideas of others. So when you have an abundance mentality, you're able to see that there's enough for everybody and that by balancing your confidence with empathy. You can achieve your goals while helping others achieve their goals. So I like that. I mean, you know, you're able to to put everybody's interest in in
2: perspective. And, And here's the thing. Don't compare yourself to other people. There's a huge difference between possessions and net worth. A lot of people are driving around in big, fancy trucks. They have debt on it. So that net worth on that probably is zero. Right. Just because they have things doesn't mean that they're they're financially free, if you will. So don't compare yourself. Habit number five is communication. That that's that's a very important um piece of the process, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So you have to you have to listen to understand. That's kind of what this is boiling down to. You know, at its base, communication is a desire to be heard and understood. Most people will listen with the intention to reply to what you're saying rather than to understand what what you've just said. So to effectively communicate, you need to first understand what, what people are saying. If you communicate with the sole intention of being understood, you may ignore what others are saying and miss the entire meaning uh, totally. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't just wait for your turn and, and pay attention to what other people are telling you. Listen to understand what they're saying.
2: Yeah, I'm going to summarize the last two here because we're coming up on a break here. Number six is is to synergize. Uh, work as a team to find new solutions to existing problems. Um, you have some some great resources out there. Use other people um, and and their ideas. Get some counseling associated with your financial situation. Habit number seven is, is is sharpen the saw. And Steve, I really like this one. It's broken down into four parts: um, physically, making sure that you're that you're exercising and, and eating right. Emotionally. Uh, interacting socially with others, uh, having some meaningful connections. Um, also mentally, um, you know, trying to expand your knowledge and reading books and, and so forth. And the, f- the final one is spiritually, you know, making sure that you uh, – some people do meditation, music, art, um, prayer, and so forth, but having some quiet time. I, one of yep. the things I realized going through the, the last week with, with no power is um, it's kind of nice. It's a little less stressful than all the other media stuff that's, you know, fighting for your attention.
1: Yeah, that's true. It is nice. Yeah, I like that sharpen the saw analogy too. I mean, I used a chainsaw a lot this past week. Yes. And- you know, it I helps mean, when it's a it sharp. It helps versus- when it's a sharp chain. So you need to spend 15 minutes sharpening the saw, and then you can cut twice as fast. That's right. So <laughs> that's a great analogy. All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us welcome back to money md where the money doctors are in the house i'm steve marbert a certified financial planner and i'm here with john travis who is dave ramsey's endorsed local provider and we are going to um, lead off our last segment here with the uh prescription of the week
2: yes and See, this is pretty cool. Do a price comparison of grocery stores. We've already done that for our listeners.
1: We have. Remember actually. about a year
2: and a half ago? We did. That was a great little, Aldi, little test. Aldi, Walmart, Bilo, Kroger. Um, and, yeah, um, I didn't remember the whole list, but you're right.
1: Aldi's think, and Bi- all Walmart were the cheapest, too. Yeah, two.
2: I think Aldi was the cheapest and even beat Walmart on some things by like 10%, and um, Aldi and Walmart beat the other places by 20 to twenty five percent. Now we don't own any stock in any of that stuff, so that's right. You know, we're not we're not promoting them, but um, shop around a little bit. Aldi's is not a fancy grocery store, and it doesn't
1: have everything. It doesn't. So it's kind of a limited <laughs> small stuff. But uh, but you know, between that and Walmart, I think you could pretty well yeah. get it all.
2: Yeah, and Aldi's doesn't have name brand items. We we've done some taste tests in our house getting cereals from Aldi and some other places, and son my son couldn't tell a difference. So um, we 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 actually have cut our our budget probably by. Fifteen percent by by wow. shopping at Walmart and, and Aldi. Again, it's not the great experience that you get in, in Kroger or a Bilo or Bring Your Own Bags, Publix. right? Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> Buy or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
2: So, but you know, if you're looking to save money and take that and put it towards retirement, hey, that's a that's that's a good sacrifice, right? I promise you. I mean, you know,
1: you can take what you save at Aldis. And Walmart, for a lot of people that shop at, like, the expensive stores, like, you know, I hate to say, what was it, like Publix? Publix and Kroger were. Kroger were the two most expensive. You know, you compare that for a family of four to cutting back and shopping at Walmart and, you know, yeah, fighting the crowds and bringing your own bags to all these and that kind of stuff. I bet you save enough to almost fully fund... A Roth IRA each year. I bet you could come close. Yeah, you could come close. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a big savings. So, you do that over 30 years and you'll have a million dollars. You will have a million dollars. We talked about that. And, matter of fact, we're going to talk about that right now because that leads up to our first, to- our next topic here, our last topic of the day. And that's called the f- the golden ticket trap. This is an article out of uh, DFA, Mutual Fund Advisors, by Jim Parker there. And, you know, I. I just love children's stories, and this is based on a popular children's stories. A young hero pins all of his hopes on finding one of a handful of golden tickets among millions of candy bars. And it seems, you know, many people, unfortunately, approach investing that way, John. It's Charlie's Chocolate Factory, right? What yeah. was the... well, this, no, this is called the... Uh, the, ha- the Golden Ticket. The Golden though. Ticket. But, yeah, it's kind of the same yeah. premise, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's just say I, I love children's books. There's so many worthy lessons that that stick with you from, like, the Starbelly Sneetches, I'll tell you about here in a second, you know, and uh, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. I mean, lo- there's lots what of great of stories
2: Are you reading.
1: I love those children's stories. So anyway, I think this is just another example of how... You know, it applies to our investing life, and uh, so we'll dig into
2: this. Yeah, you know, the the notion that the path to long-term wealth lies in locating secret and previously undiscovered treasures in the global marketplace of securities is is one that's regularly featured in the media and market commentary. And we have people coming to us all the time with this, questions like this. One magazine, for instance, runs a, a feature called Fund Manager Secret Stocks. Secret, secret, that's right. Referring to supposedly bargain stocks the pros just keep hidden from everybody else. And how the stocks can be secret when they splash them on the magazine stands nationally is is not explained in the article, of course, but... Likewise, a popular business broadcaster regularly tells its viewers about the under-the-radar stocks that Wall Street analysts don't want them to know about. I mean, it's 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 a it's kind of comical when you yeah, think about it, isn't it
1: funny? I mean, you wouldn't want if you had your stocks, you know, you'd want to keep them secret. That's right, quiet. If other people bought them, they would run the price up. You wouldn't <laughs> want that to happen to your stocks, right?
2: <laughs> and there's not thousands of analysts that are looking at it either. So I
1: mean, come on, you know, the secret stocks. We would be touting it from the highest rooftops because you want everybody to buy your stocks because yeah. you already own them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this stuff sells because it plays to a misconception about how markets work, you know, that they're like the the beaches after a hot day full of buried treasures where people have lost, you know, in the sand. Diamond rings. Yeah, right. And all you need is, you know, in this view of investing, all you need is a virtual metal detector to go, you know, find the money that people left behind, you know, and you could get lucky this way, of course. But, hey. But basing a long-term investment strategy on stumbling across the equivalent of a mislaid trinket in the sand, or a golden ticket in a chocolate wrapper, is not likely to be sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, to say the least. I mean, if you if you're picking stocks, yeah, you may hit an occasional winner, um, but don't kid yourself. I mean, to think that you're beating the market somehow with that. Um, you know, I mean, what was your return last year? What was your return the last five years? Mm-hmm. Compare that to the stock market. If most people are honest themselves, they don't come anywhere close to beating the market like that. Um, you know, I love children's books, so to me, the stock market is more like um the star belly sneeches from Dr. Seuss. Hmm. If you ever remember that one, that was where uh, Mr. McMonkey McBeam, uh, he had a star on star off machine, John. And if you remember, he put the stars on the Plain Belly Sneetches for $10 each. <laughs> and then once the Plain Bellies were no longer in style, he would remove the stars for another $10 each until they all learned that, that there were no better Sneetches on the beaches anywhere. Uh, they were all I the same. I think I remember this. Do you remember that? That was an awesome book. That was one of my favorite, probably the favorite children's book I ever ever read. But anyway... You know, the uh, the point here was that um, there are money-making enterprises that are continually adding value in the stock market. So you don't have to have someone lose in order for you to win in the stock market. I mean, companies are creating products and services. They're adding value to the shareholders by creating revenue, earning a profit. You know, it's a win-win for everybody. So, I mean, unlike the sneeches who spend a lot of money on nothing, <laughs> even though, you know, one could argue that the star on star-off machine was creating a valuable service, um, the stock market's not a zero-sum game where if someone has to lose in order for you to win, it's made up of companies who are constantly creating value that are pushing prices up of their shares over time. So, you know, and unlike real estate, where we talked about last week, where your building's constantly decreasing in value due to age and deterioration, unless you're putting a lot of money into it to really keep it up to date. Um, you know, the, the opposite is true in the stock market. The stock market is creating real, real value that makes the prices go up. So that's one of the amazing things about capitalism and the stock market in general. You know, it has turned returned something like north of 10 percent compounded year over year over the past 80 years. I mean, those are the kind of returns that will that can make you rich over time if you simply invest consistently. You know, every year over long periods of time, say like thirty years.
2: Yeah, you know. On the other hand, like you're saying, you know, it, there are a lot of people that have the golden ticket approach that he's describing here, and. You know, folks are looking for a lost treasure or trying to find the big score in the stock market, it's really a haphazard approach, and it's relying on chance and requiring a lot of work that's unlikely to be rewarded. So, you know, worse, it means taking unnecessary risks by tying one's fortunes to a handful of securities uh, or to maybe one or two sectors. We saw that in the the technology back in the early 2000s. I mean, that was disastrous for folks.
1: Yeah, that's right. That reminds me of the gold miners, you know, in Alaska on the uh, A&E channel. I love that show. Mm -hmm. Those guys are just... They're just working their tail off, man. I mean, it is really hard work, and, you know, occasionally they'll hit it big and, you know, get, you know, whatever, 30 ounces of gold or something, but still, it's just a lot of work for for very little payoff in the long run, you know, and you don't want to invest that way. I mean, you know, taking big bets on a single se- sector or commodity is kind of like buying chocolate bar in hopes of finding a golden ticket. I mean, there's an element of pot luck. And you're exposing yourself to the idiosyncratic uh, risk, you know, that's related to that industry or that sector. Um, So you don't want to invest that way. I mean, on the subject of hidden treasures, I mean, gold itself can be, you know, kind of an allure for investors. People tend to think that, you know, that might be a place to, 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 you know, strike it big in their investments. But I mean the truth is it goes a huge up and downs, just like we saw last year when it had, you know, one of the biggest drops that we've seen in thirty years in gold. Um, you know, in two thousand thirteen uh you know, the Daily Mall, Daily Mail and the UK carried the headlines gold set to shine even more brightly in twenty thirteen. Well the rationale with investors scouring the world for safe having havens uh you know gold could reach as high as 2500 dollars an ounce by year end is what they said
2: yeah and instead it went down by by 28% and and uh, so you know a lot of people bet completely on one sector or commodity you know you can have some gold in your portfolio but don't don't rely on you know you know don't speculate
1: That's right. The great news is you don't have to find a golden ticket or hit it big to do very well with your investments. U.S. stocks have asset classes have returned anywhere from 9.9 for large growth to 16.9 percent per year for small value stocks over the past 80 years. John, I mean, so all you got to do is diversify, be well invested. And you're going to do very well over time with the equity part of your portfolio, as long as you get market rates of return.
2: Yeah, it's called the Kiss Principle, right? Just, keep just it simple. Keep it
1: simple. Diversify. That's really the key here. So, uh, you know, don't be looking for the golden ticket, you know, in a chocolate <laughs> like bar hidden in the sand. Willy Wonka's
2: Chocolate Factory. That's it.
1: That's it. Don't do that. All right. That wraps up for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. to hear more prescriptions. For your financial health check us on our website moneymd.net email us your questions we would love to hear from you you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call john and steve at richard young associates at 706-739-0725 thanks for listening have a great
2: weekend
0: have a good one